Hey, church, welcome to another online worship service. We're really, really grateful that you continue to uh, connect with the church in this way. 2 Peter 3.8 says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is one of these ideas in which I take great comfort. The Lord is not beholden to not only my schedule or my understanding of how one day flows into the next. The Lord exists outside of time and space. Uh, I think that's an incredible concept, uh, an incredible idea um, that he's just simply not on our timetable. So whatever you're going through, he knew it was going to be happening today. He is not slow. He is not late. He is not fast. He is with you right where you are. We're going to sing a song uh, to open our worship set that reflects that reality. Let's sing. Here we go. You hold the reins on the sun and the moon Like horses driven by kings you cover the mountains, the valleys below With the breadth of your mighty wings All treasures of wisdom and things to be known Are hidden inside of your head In this fortunate turn of events You've asked me to be your Yeah. 
that one more time. And you, you are my first, you are my last, you are my future.
nations Come lay them down at the foot of the cross Jesus is waiting, God so loved the world Well, welcome to ABF. We are so glad that you've chosen to join us today so that we can worship together and put our focus on Jesus. And hopefully, you'll be able to keep your eyes open, unlike my son, who got a little dozy last week in the video. But we're going to give him a break because it was finals week. Well, I want to say thank you to everyone who's been texting us and sending in your prayer requests and any concerns. Man, we so enjoy that. We have seen just, you know, a lot of prayer concerns, a lot of health issues, a lot of relationship struggles and things going on. So, hey, would you partner with us and just be praying for our ABF family? And we want to remind you, just send us a text to 97000, and that's the way that we can stay in communication with you and please send us your text, send us anything that we can be supporting you with in prayer. Thank you for that. Well, next Sunday, we're super excited. We have our outdoor Super Bowl party. So we want you to join us here in the courtyard. That's going to be Sunday, February 7th at 3 p.m. here on campus. Lots of snacks, tons of wings. You're not going to want to miss that. Well, hey, we have a new Saturday men's Bible study that's kicking off real soon. It's going to start on uh, Saturday, February 13th, and it's an early bird one, 7.30 to 9.30 a.m. So any of you men, maybe you've never been in a Bible study before, or you want to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus, get plugged in more, this is for you. So this Bible study starts on February 13th, and it's going to be in every other Saturday group. So we hope you'll join us there. And women, man, we have lots going on for you. So I just want to give you a little update of all the opportunities for you to get connected in. Um, we just started a new Bible study this past Tuesday, so you're not too late to jump in. That's in person on campus in the well on Tuesday mornings. Then I'm on Zoom every single Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Please come on in. I host a Bible study there. So you are all welcome any Wednesday night. Um, you can grab my Zoom link from the website too. So love to see you there. And then we've got our courtyard gathering coming up. We're actually having a Galentine's gathering. So you're not going to want to miss all the fun and connection there. So lots going on for you women. Please go onto our website to find out more details about all those events. Well, hey, church, I want to say thank you for your generosity and how you've been just faithfully supporting our church. Two easy ways to give is just simply mailing in a check or going online uh, with your support. Thank you so much for that. Well, at this time, I just want to take a moment for us to go to the Lord in prayer before we start our message this evening or this morning. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you uh, just for your hand of faithfulness in our lives, your hand being on our church and our church family. Lord, I know there's a lot of prayer needs out there right now. So Lord, would you come and would you just meet those needs tangibly, emotionally, where they're at, spiritually, Lord, would you just be so present in our church family's life and just reaching out. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would continue just to come before you and experience your faithfulness and your presence in our lives. God, you have never let us down. 
you have been so good to us. And so, Lord, we just want to honor you. We want to honor you with this time. And so, Lord, we, we say we are open. We're open to what you want to teach us now, here in this video even. So, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to bring to us and uh, teach us and encourage us now. We love you, and we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, welcome church. So good to be together for worship. Thank you for the announcement piece, Adrian, all the pieces coming together for God's glory. Well, I want to invite you to uh, turn with me. We're continuing our study. We're in John chapter 12, and we're in, starting in verse 20 uh, here today. And a little bit as we're turning there, just some confessions for a lot of us as I have conversations with people, is a lot of people will admit to this last 12 months doing more binge watching of television series than they usually do. And really most people can kind of think back of some series they've gotten pulled into, something that they've uh, found some uh, reprieve from the chaos in. And, and even I've noticed, even my, my parents have had some fun with that. I, uh, they were introduced from, my, I think it was my son, uh, to The Mandalorian. And so since they grew up with Star Wars stuff, kind of funny over the last month, every Sunday, we normally get together as a family and we'd come home after church and find both of my parents sitting there binge watching episodes of The Mandalorian together. Definitely a, a fun senior event. My wife has her favorite show. Uh, you might not be familiar with this one. It's called Heartland. And uh, it's kind of a, a mixture between Little House on the Prairie and I don't know what. It's the Canadian version of that. And it's uh, brutally uh, boring. Uh, but anyway, uh, we all have something. I really enjoyed a Ted Lasso. Who doesn't like uh, some Ted Lasso? But what I have noticed in all of these, the trend in all of these different shows is really all of them kind of have the same kind of plan, whether it's a, a drama, whether it's an adventure. They all have some kind of a building up towards some climactic uh, finale in the in the show. It all builds towards something. And, and it's usually at that point in the show that someone wants to come in and start talking to you, right? Anybody do that where you're like, come on, be quiet. I, I don't want to miss this part. Like I, I sh there's a lot of shush that happened in our house, making sure that we're not interrupted because realizing that this is the, the, the pinnacle of the story. And for us, as we're beginning to work through this last week of Jesus's life, there's lots of those moments where there's like, hey, we gotta lean in and listen. We don't wanna miss anything that the main character is saying. I'd suggest today that this is a, if there's ever a section that would be worth listening to, this would be a, a section that you wanna hone in where you wanna lean in and listen a little bit closer because Jesus, the main character of the entire story of mankind is sharing truth that's important for us to make sense out of everything. The whole world, our whole existence, our whole life. And so definitely not the time to be dozing off, right, Chase? Let me pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this chance to be together and to study your word. And I find such life in it myself each week in preparation for this. And my prayer is that Folks listening would also find life in it and find truth and find their identity, find so much that is offered in your word. We ask that you'd move through this time. We invite your presence and we turn this over to you now in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
you have fun with a little bit with uh, Chase on that from last week. Our videographer zoomed in on a part that we noticed he was getting a little sleepy. And so you guys, this is Doug and uh, Sabrina here visiting today. And I just want to make sure you guys are staying awake and alert uh, or else it will be pointed out on camera. But we're diving in. Chapter 12, verse 20 says this. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. All right, we'll pause there. I was wondering how many of us knew the kind of the background to uh, what we see every day in sporting events, all the interviews after the games. Did you know that professional athletes are trained to communicate with the press and say the right things at the right time to avoid any kind of scandal in their sports career? found that interesting. So usually when you listen to them and you realize that you're like, oh, they're being very politically correct. They're not wanting to antagonize the, the opponents. They're very, uh, they're very scripted and well thought through in their responses. Thinking about that, sometimes when you read some of the dialogue of Jesus with others, you're like, man, it seems like if he was trying to build his brand or expand his popularity, he would need a little bit of training on what to say and not to say. But it wasn't because he was lacking intentionality. He said exactly what he meant to say. And when he uses expressions and he tells us things like hate our life, Man, that's maybe not going to build his popularity, but it's actually what is expected or called of for a believer. What does he mean by that? What's the intention? Is he calling us all to become teenagers again? I mean, that's really the, the description that we associate with teenagers, some kind of a melodrama of, uh, I hate my life. That, that's not true. That's not what he's calling us to. We want to first look at the context of what this is, where this is happening. First, we see that there's a group of Greek-speaking Gentile converts. So basically, converts that were coming to Jerusalem to be a part of the worship of the Passover. And upon arrival, they ask, they go first to Philip and ask. Philip actually is a Greek name. They go to him asking for permission to see Jesus, to spend some time with Jesus. They, they want to get a little bit closer to him. It's interesting to see Jesus's response to that request. It's almost as if he ignores the request, but he does something important. He points them towards truth that would be critical for these Gentile converts to grasp the gospel message itself. More important than spending time with them would be them understanding what he was bringing 
and what he was offering. He explains a simple truth in, in farmer terms that they would all understand in that day and age. He explains what his plan is, what he's heading towards on the cross. He uses the analogy that they would be familiar with of a grain of uh, or a kernel or grain of wheat needing to fall and die in order for there to be new life or fruit from that. We understand that concept still today. You take a seed, you put it in the, in the ground, and it is definitely dead and gone, but from that comes new life. That's the gospel message, saying that one needs to die in order for the life of many. It's what the religious leaders had recognized even the week before or the, in last week's message, the idea that one would suffer for the payment for others. But in addition to that, he explains something important for us that are believers. Those who embrace are also expected to die. And in that death, there should be a change in our view of our current life. What does he say there? He says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hating your life. So what does that actually look like? Is he telling us not to enjoy anything, to just go around with a, a frown on our face all the time? I don't believe that's the point or the big idea. That's not the consistent pattern or truth that we see in scripture. In other words, I would say what he's saying is don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked in to the strong pull that this world has towards a self-centered existence operating like everyone else with only a temporal view in mind. That's what we're designed to hate and to resist and to push back against. We must resist the self-centered, all the things that uh, tell us in our world that this all revolves around us. That's what we're to die to and instead give up our rights for serving and blessing others. Giving up our needs, there should be a daily dying to self. So that's the idea for us constantly putting to death. I like how A.T. Pearson puts it. Getting rid of the self-life is like peeling an onion, layer by layer, a tearful process. It's not something that comes off without some degree of help and the power of the Holy Spirit of ridding ourselves and asking that simple question, does this make him look good? It's not about me. Does this action, does this thing, will this action matter in a thousand years from now, running through all those filters of eternity? Notice though, Jesus also points to the outcome if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Love the outcome of those that have given up with this life and, and let go of the things of this world. What he says the outcome is being present with him. We're supposed to. I, I love a, a book study that I did a number of years back, maybe even Doug or Sabrina or Adrian, remember, called Experiencing God. It was by Blackaby. And the whole premise, the whole big idea of that study was this idea that we're to be constantly looking for where God's at work and then joining him at work. It's not about him joining us. We see here in the text that we're invited to join him our, wherever he's at. His servant should be in the same 
place. That's the invitation. And in that, we will be honored. Really, that's the truth. It's an honor to serve and to minister alongside of Jesus Christ. Even hard to wrap your brain around that idea. We'll continue in the text. Next big truth. He was troubled on my behalf. Now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus speaking. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard that from the law that the, that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Pretty powerful interaction there. I don't know if you're like this, but to me, one of the things I try to avoid in life is trying to avoid being a burden to anybody else. I want to avoid any kind of like, oh, I don't want to cause anybody trouble or inconvenience. I remember this last Easter, you might not know some of the backstory of these different things that transpire with these videos each week. But after filming on a Thursday night in preparation for the Sunday service, man, that night I was tossing and turning and just did not feel good about my sermon. And so I think it was late that night, maybe Lubin, you can remember this, late that night I was like, hey guys, do you mind if we come back again to record it again tomorrow? In other words, plan B, round two, if you will. But I felt terrible. I was like, oh man, that's gonna be such a burden. Everybody stuck sitting in the couches again. But we did it and I'm thankful that we did. I feel like it was the Holy Spirit nudging me with that. But either way, there's something about bothering or burdening somebody, troubling somebody that we try our best to avoid if at all possible. Find it interesting here, verse 27 as that begins. It says, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? It's interesting because you're seeing a little glimpse into the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus at the same time. The idea of his soul being troubled at what was coming. It's weird when you actually stop and realize that we were the source of his trouble. Think about that for a moment. What is he troubled about? He's troubled about his, he's heading to the cross. He's heading to the very first time in eternity being separated from the Father. He's headed towards carrying the weight of the sin of the sins of the world on his back. It's pretty miserable. That tells you what a big deal it was that he was actually troubled by that and were the source of it. But he realizes that everything in the story of mankind was building toward this. He always refers to it as his, his hour, this hour. In other words, his entire life 
was, was all headed this march towards a cruel Roman cross. Really, if you think about it, our eternal destination was on the line, either eternal judgment or eternal glory with him in heaven. The penalty for sin would either fall on us or fall on him. That's what sometimes baffles me is how anyone could have that level of sacrifice that's been made on your behalf, that, that level of trouble, that me, what level of, uh, of uh, inconvenience, that's not even the right word for it, and take all of that and say, no thanks, I'll pass. Unbelievable if you think about that. But he was marching towards the cross. He realized that it was either us or him. Because of the tension there, you see the kind of this, this wrestling match that is going through. I think that gives us a, a little clue on what it looks like to interact with our God and what is open and possible to us. I love whether you're reading the Psalms, or you're reading here, the invitation for us to go through difficult stuff and really have a hard time with it. He's like, oh man, I, I, I'm troubled at this. My soul is, is, is hurting. For us, for us to have anxiety about pending whatever it is, and it's, it's all right. I see this as, as permission for it. But I think it's important to also learn from this how you process through pending pain, how you process through current pain. What he does, Jesus, as you watch this, is he goes back to his calling and his purpose and the bigger picture. Basically, he's like, man, this is gonna be really rough, but I'm trusting you and look at his ultimate desire. I'm trusting you and I want you, Lord, to be glorified in that. As we're going through our stressors and anxiety and whatever it may be, that's a beautiful picture of an appropriate response. Come to him, cry out to him, acknowledge that it's hard. There's nothing wrong with that, but then ultimately point to the purpose that should be all of our purpose to bring him glory. He revisits his calling and the purpose of his death. Think about that when he calls out his desire is to glorify, he says, Father, glorify your name. I love that in this moment, God, God the Father audibly responds. What does he say there? He says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Here's a confession as a, as a pastor. I actually completely forgot about that happening in scripture. Totally forgot about this interaction with God the Father and God the Son. You normally think of the, uh, uh, at his baptism, the Lord confirming things, but this is a, a second verbal confirmation from heaven. What would that have been like to be in the audience? How do you explain that? A word from, uh, from an angel or this was just thunder but there's no explanation. What this was, was another thing that was added to the mile high pile of evidence of the deity of Jesus Christ. Hearing an audible voice of God the Father from heaven sounding like thunder is just another reminder of God went to every possible measure whether it was unbelievable signs through Jesus, whether it's him speaking from heaven, what more would it take to convince mankind? He points that upon Jesus is predicting now exactly how he's going to die as he's lifted up, as he's lifted up on a cross. 
He's going to be one defeat Satan, which is a pretty cool picture. He's kind of pointing out that most would assume when he's lifted up on a cross that Satan is winning, but just the opposite is true. He's destroying death and the victory that it has over us. And in that, I think it's interesting that he also paints it. He says, I will draw, will draw all people to myself. I think it's important for us to understand his part in all of this. John 6, tells us, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. He says, we'll draw people to himself. That's what the cross does. There's something about that. There's something inside of us that recognizes that, man, we, we have sinned. We have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And we're, when we're actually introduced to the cross, we're drawn to it because it appeals to what we know in our heart of heart is true. But there's still resistance. You see these knuckleheads there keep arguing with them. I get blown away as we see just the insanity of the arguments as this progresses. As he's offering for them to be sons of light, they're debating over trivial things that they, perceptions of what the, of what the uh, Messiah was supposed to be. I don't know what's up with these people. In fact, we look in the second half of verse 36, so we realize the root cause for their unbelief. Take a look, verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he was, has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of them. Nevertheless, many, even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We'll pause there for a moment. I want to try something for a second. I'm wondering if you would agree or disagree with this statement. The statement is this, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. I would hope that we would agree with that statement. I mean, we sing songs about it, or poems written about it, people talk about it. But really, when you start to look at the life and ministry of Jesus, you might come to question that statement. It sure seems like his outreach efforts to the Jews didn't go so great. You might even suggest that they were a failure. But were they a failure? Were they actually a, a failure? Was this a, an issue of Jesus not successfully articulating something or convincing them of something or demonstrating enough things? Or was this actually just a tragic expose of the condition of the human heart? That's what I would suggest. It just tells us how far lost and how far gone humanity is. It's not, just a, it's not just something that we'd picture as a, a failure, but it's actually a fulfillment of prophecy made hundreds of years earlier with Isaiah that were, there would be those who just would not believe. 
would not believe. It says they still did not believe in him even after all the signs, all the things that they were exposed to. It's not a, a failure issue. It's actually fulfillment issue of exactly what was prophesied about the human heart. Now, some of us read verse 40 there. It says, therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. They have a hard time knowing what to do with passages like that. It's kind of tough to swallow. No life verses found there in verse 40. No tattoos on anyone's arm mentioning that. It's a scary reality. But here's the important thing to understand is one rejects God but then God judicially blinds their eyes and hardens their heart even more. That's why it says they could not believe. Best way to understand this or best statement of description I've seen is an unwillingness to believe became an inability to believe. There's always a, a mix you'll see in scripture between personal responsibility and then God's will. Romans 1 talks about uh, after someone has rejected all the evidences around them, everything they've seen, even in creation, that God turns them over to their sin. He turns them over to their debased mind. That's how it works. There's a, a tension there. There's a tension between God's sovereignty, but it's never pitted against his man's responsibility. Or think about it for a moment. The cross was always something that was predestined, that he would die. It was spoken about in the Old Testament, that he'd be uh, lifted up. There's prophecies. There's even pictures of it uh, back with uh, Moses and the, the Israelites and the serpent on the, on the stand. All of these things all pointed to the cross. Does that mean that there's a, 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 that leaves any personal responsibility to the people in the crowd chanting, crucify him, crucify him? Absolutely not. Just because something was predetermined or predestined doesn't take away personal responsibility. It's kind of cool though, in the midst of this, there's still seeds as he had described, seeds that were being planted that were starting to take root. I'd say it's kind of hard to understand verse uh, 42 and 43 to know if the people that it's describing there I'll read it again for a second. Nevertheless, many, even in the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would be, not be put out of the synagogues. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Wonder in that, maybe you can have a dinner conversation about this. I wonder if you would describe those people as true believers or not. We've already seen in the book of John that there's kind of a separation by people that are intrigued or interested and there's a partial belief, but a not a total commitment. I don't know how to answer that question. I love that we understand in scripture that God sees the heart. That's not for us to judge. We don't exactly know, but we are told elsewhere in Mark 8, 38, that we're warned against this idea of being ashamed of his name. You're not willing to speak up or, or represent or confess. If you confess his, uh, of him publicly, that's even part of the Romans 10, 9. The whole idea of the salvation is confessing him publicly. So it seems to lean towards not being genuine faith. But then I wonder if maybe it's budding faith. I think back to my high school days, I would say that those were years where I was just kind of living for self and was 
ashamed of the name, wouldn't proclaim him to friends. I, I love that I look back now and a few of my key friends from that era still came to know Jesus Christ out of God's kindness and more through our family than necessarily through my testimony. You wonder in God's graciousness if this was a beginning of what would ultimately lead to people that would be on fire for Jesus Christ. I guess we shouldn't spend too much time on that because we don't know for sure the answer. Either way, we'll move towards the last section here. I labeled this final personal invitation. Verse 44, even despite their disbelief, look at what Jesus says. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Pause there as we kind of conclude for this week in that section. I like the, the story I was reading this week of a wife who was opening her mail and she was reporting what was in a particular letter. She said, the bank says that this is our final notice about our mortgage. Isn't it wonderful that they're not going to bother us anymore? Kind of thinking through that, this is a, a warning, a final warning from Jesus. You think about how many times He's been rejected. How many times they've, they've heard it? How many notices they've been given up until this point? And finally, Jesus is like, this is the last chance. He calls them out. He calls them to hear what he has to say while they can still listen. This is his last public plea before the masses. They're still in the light at this point, but darkness will soon overtake them. If you think about the timeline of things, the next time the crowd is gathered, what are they chanting? Crucify him, crucify him. So this is one last warning, one last possibility or appeal. Let's take a, a moment to look at what Jesus had to say to them. Basically, as consistently in the message of John, it's kind of a repeat message that whatever he says, whatever he does, it's simply a picture of God himself, this connection between he and the Father. He says, belief in me equals belief in the Father. This is their last appeal to finally embrace that and take it and adopt that for their truth. You never know when it's a last appeal. Remember in a college ministry when we were leading back in Chicago, there was a young adult that was there, part of the ministry, fun guy, full of a lot of life and energy. One of the things that he did that we were a little concerned about is rode a motorcycle consistently. And as a young guy, I was like, oh man, that can go wrong so quickly. I remember just absolutely as he is exploring his faith and figuring out things, hated getting the phone call of the accident on the motorcycle. Took his life at whatever age, 18, 19 years old. Just heartbreaking to think, not knowing that maybe the last time 
that he had been at the youth group, that that was the time, the final time that he might hear about Jesus. We just don't know. We just don't know when it's the final invitation. He explains to them that he's the light in the midst of the darkness. I think that's something that we maybe kind of brush past some of the, the, the analogies and language that Jesus used, but really that is a picture of the world that we currently live in. Sometimes we think to ourselves, ah, it's not that bad. I'll tell you what, you don't have to look very far current days to see the expanse of darkness and how it continues to go further and further. The cycle of sin, I would suggest, is spiraling at a pretty fast rate in our current day and age. It's heading that direction. For us, it's important for us to be clear and have appropriate expectations of the plant, the fallen planet in which we live. Understanding exactly as he described it back then, we're living in darkness, but we are offered light and then can become sons of light to the world in which we're placed. He explains to them, listen, I didn't come here. He had gracious intentions coming. He didn't come there to condemn the world. What does it say that he came? He came to rescue. He's on a, a rescue mission. Can you imagine? He's like, oh, can't you guys just understand? I'm not showing up to try to rub your nose and stuff. I'm showing up to introduce the rescue plan that could redirect your eternity. Think about how frustrating that would have been for how many times you're repeating the same message. This isn't my words. This is the father's words. I'm here representing him perfectly to you and you have a choice, but he doesn't let him off the hook. He says, listen, I'm not coming to condemn you or judge you, but ultimately your decision as to what you do with Jesus Christ will determine your eternal fate. You're going to be judged on the last day based on what we've done with Jesus Christ. We don't know when it's going to be that last day. Sometimes when you're doing a little bit of prophetic study in, the, in the, either Revelations or other pieces of scripture, it sure does seem like we're racing upon that. We don't know for sure when and if it's going to, when and if we're getting the very last description, the last invite or personal invitation that Jesus is extending to us. We just don't know that. I'll give you one more postal story, another goofy one. A man received a letter labeled final notice from the IRS with an amount that was owed. So he rushed over and made sure to get to the office. The first thing when the office opened, he knows what a, he knew what a pain it would be to be stuck with some back taxes. He says, hey, sorry, I, I missed the first notice that you sent out as he's explaining the reason for his late payment, the lady working there explained to him, first notices, we discovered that final notices work much better. I think that's the same idea here. When there's a, an urgency to it, all of a sudden, maybe our brains will click. And that's my prayer for the person that's on the receiving end of this. And when they're heart of hearts, they understand they've never bent a knee. They've never embraced Jesus for their rescue. My prayer is that even watching this video, there might be somebody that calls out to him and acknowledges their sin, confesses that before them, and then pleads out for the rescue that only comes through Jesus Christ. That could even happen in the moments during this video. 
For the rest of us, I hope that there's a lot that was made sense out of this whole picture, the whole storyline. It started with Jesus being, hey, I'm, I'm troubled. I'm going to absorb the trouble that you have on myself. He's the one that went to the cross. And then secondly, he invites everyone. When it, when it says, that when the invitation is, is that everyone would come to him, it's not a, that all would, I'm sorry, that all would come to him. It's not saying that everyone will, but it's the invite that everyone is invited. We'll never know when it's the final notice though. This could be even the video. That's the last chance that somebody hears. My pr prayer and hope is that there would be a response to it. There would be a, an urgency to how we respond to gospel messages like this. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this section of scripture and we thank you for these opportunities to look closer at your words. The things that you said mattered. Our understanding of what it looks like to follow you should be derived not from patterns that we see around us, but how you actually describe it. And you describe it as hating this life. Not necessarily being void of of happiness or enjoying things, but instead being done with chasing after the same things as everybody else, the self-centered existence. I pray that you do a work in each one of us responding to this, that there be something that's impressed on each of us from this passage that you want us to work on, that you want us to put the, the allow the spotlight to go into that corner of our life. I pray too, just for the person that maybe has been putting off a response to the gospel for so long. They've been never knowing that maybe it might be the last invite. My hope and my prayer is that there would be a, a response that happens even in these moments. We invite that. We ask that you take blinders off and do only what you can, drawing people to yourself. Thank you again for this chance to be together. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I
church. Well, thanks again for being a part of our service. Always so grateful. Thank you for our, our crew up here. It looked like you guys stayed awake. Thanks for that. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week.